If you would remain standing and open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, as we continue our study of the book of Daniel, we'll pick up in verse 8, and this week read the rest of the chapter, so 8 down through 21. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Daniel 1, beginning in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear the Lord my king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So would you endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten, them ten times better than all the ma magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there <clears throat> until the first year of King Cyrus. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Lord, we need your help today. May we see Jesus in this text. May we be pointed ahead to you, our great God and King. Lord, as we consider these realities, also help us resolve in our hearts. Give us resolve, Lord, in the ways that we live our lives. May we live them for your glory. Shape us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. You're going to have to pray for me today. I'm working on a cold a little bit. I'm not going to get too near you or hopefully not spit all the way to the front row. So we have these four teenage boys brought from their home, from their church, from their parents, from everything that they had ever known and brought to a strange land from Judah to Babylon, from a place where everything is known to a place where nothing is known, from all things familiar to all things chaotic. 
If this were us and we were writing ourselves in the pages of Daniel, how do you think we would hold up? I thought about that this last week and I, I think we, we fancy ourselves the hero. Like, we would do great. I actually highly doubt it. We would probably do really, really bad. We, we wouldn't handle the situation well. We need to remember a few things. First, the faithfulness of Daniel and his friends, we often think of it as loud and public. But in our text today, we see it's, it's quiet. It's faithfulness in little things. We, we, we want the flash and bang. Right? If you're going to do something significant for the Lord, like as a believer in exile, you obviously have to be a preacher. Or better yet, a missionary. No, that's not the lesson of, of Daniel. These are, these are teenage refugees. The, the, difference, the difference is God being at work. God being at work in their lives. The, the point of this book, as with all other books, is Daniel is, is taking us someplace. He's going he's to tell us about all these dreams and visions and kingdoms. Ultimately, Daniel is pointing us to Jesus Christ. So when we think about the, the protests of Daniel, don't think of them first as loud and boisterous. Think of them as small and simple. What does it look like to live as exiles in the world? It's hard to know how to be faithful in a world that plays by vastly different rules than what we consider right from God's word. It's hard to know how to be faithful in that context. In some ways, we feel far removed from the society we would like to have ourselves in. However, I don't think we're as far removed as, as all of that. We gather today to worship God as those called to live faithfully in our culture, no matter where that is. First thing we should observe in Daniel 1 that will help us all the way through is that God is in control. God is in control. Remember from the last week, verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand. That is, he gave him to Nebuchadnezzar. Who's in control? This feels chaotic. This feels like no, no one is in control, and yet God is the one doing this. God is at work. Three times in our text, God gives Daniel favor. God looms over the entire book, child of God. Feeling the weight of what it means to be a Christian in our day or bearing all, all kinds of weight, emotional. Know that God is in control. I will show you multiple times in the text, God is at work in these four teenage Youths, refugees, God has not abandoned you. The Spirit of God 
dwells in those that he calls to himself. We remain utterly dependent on the grace of this sovereign God. Daniel points the way. He and his friends find themselves living a nightmare. Yet in our text, we'll see that they remain undefiled, unafraid, and very uncommon. First, undefiled. Notice verse 8 again. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Daniel wanted to remain undefiled. And we, we talked about this briefly last week. Perhaps it was a dietary restriction in the law. If they were serving pork and he, he knew his Old Testament, he, well, I can't have that. There's no imposition like that concerning wine. The next thing we, we could ask is maybe they're serving this food to gods before they're offering it um, to Daniel. We simply don't know. They, they also would offer vegetables to their false gods. We know, that, we know this. We know that there, there was a line in the sand for Daniel that he wasn't going to cross. He wasn't going to eat the king's food. We referenced this again last time, but he, he resists in a quiet way, in a quiet way, giving himself over fully to the will of Nebuchadnezzar. Notice how decisive he is. He purposed in his heart. And it's not something in the food that, that defiles him. Again, it's the, this whole notion of being assimilated into the, the full culture of Babylon. He's not going to do it. He purposed in his heart so that he wouldn't compromise. His heart was set before his actions live them out. Child of God, take every opportunity you can to purpose in your heart. To decide on the inside before God what is right and right action follows that. Most of our world, again, wants to see big things. The big outward things. And yet, this is a quiet purpose in his heart. It's not the big things. It's much of Christianity is lived out as we decide in our heart the way that we are to live. We read God's word and make decisions and move forward. Daniel purposes in his heart. Small, quiet, subtle, wise. From the inside out. On this issue of being undefiled, notice the modesty of Daniel. He, he doesn't come with harsh words. He, he comes with wisdom to the one who is giving him his diet. He, he's very modest in his ask. In verse 8, he asks allow to be allowed to not defile himself. And then he asks a question. He, he doesn't give a demand. He, he asks, look at verse 9, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuch. Again, 
Just like God is in control in verse 2, God, God is in control of all of this. And here, he gives Daniel grace and compassion in the eyes of the chief eunuch. It's remarkable. He, he, Daniel could have utterly blown the situation up. He, he could have... But he didn't do that. He purposed in his heart. He had a conversation. And then when he gets pushed back, he, he, they plan a test. He says, okay, okay, I know that... And look, it, if this goes bad, the, the eunuch could lose his head. He said, if, if I allow this and you look bad before the king, I could die. Daniel said, try us. Ten days. Again, not harsh words. A resolve from the inside out. There will be larger things that come his way later in the book. Fire and lions. But here, the resistance is quiet. One commentator notes, sometimes small commitments made along the way fortify faith and plant its seed when it has to meet more severe threats. Small obedience. Small decisions. Small commitments that begin on the inside and work their way out. Abraham began his journey with the Lord, simply hearing from the Lord and just doing it. He obeyed. He left Ur and came into the land. We see this again and again and again in Scripture. Being faithful to God. One lesson that we could derive being faithful to God <clears throat> does not mean that we have to be seen publicly and visibly winning every argument with the culture. It's not what it means. We see here, being, being a Christian doesn't mean that we have to be obnoxious. Daniel was in ministry. We're going to see at the, at the end of this, he was in ministry for 70 years. He outlived many kings, and the empire goes from Babylonian to Persian in that time period. He could navigate well in his culture. Sinclair Ferguson says this, quote, Daniel illustrates the principle that true faithfulness is seen not only in our determination to stand firm, that after all might simply be native stubbornness, but in the way we stand firm and the spirit in which we do so. Yes, we have to stand firm in a culture that largely disbelieves in God. We do. But the way we stand firm matters. The way we live our lives and comport ourselves with those things, especially with those things that we don't like. Jesus embodies this reality. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges rightly. Listen, there is a time I'm not saying there's never a time to be loud. There, there might be. But often times we shouldn't be loud. We should be quiet. Look at our Lord who was reviled and didn't revile 
in return, but he trusted. You have to have that trust. How did he do that? How did Jesus interact with this world that hated him and ultimately killed him on a cross? How? He committed himself to his father fully. Fully. Daniel resolved and God gave grace. So he remains undefiled and then we see that he is unafraid. Notice verse 10. I fear the Lord my king. This this is not coming from Daniel. Who assigned you your food and drink. For why should he see that you were worse in condition than the youths of your own age? So then he puts together this test. Again, how, how can he... 15-year-old kid dealing with some of the most powerful people in the world at the time. How, how is he doing this? Test us. Give us vegetables and water. In, t- in 10 days, we're going to be fatter than everybody else here. How in the world? It's because he trusts God. This resolve in the heart that comes out in his life and action, it, <clears throat> it's because he trusts the Lord. And here he is in exile in Babylon, living for the glory of God, living his life for the glory of God. He trusts that God is going to act, and you see this time and time and time again in his life. He trusts himself to the Lord. Just the application of vegetables and water to, um, we should put together a recipe book as a church, like Daniel's recipes. No, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think the point is that God had already been at work. He, he gave Daniel favor. And he sustains them. The result of the, t- the test, 15 and 16, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. David Helm asked this, what grows the kind of person who has this kind of resolve? It's a great question. You think about these 15-year-old kids, refugees, going through Babylon U, what develops a kid like that? I think this is a fantastic question for our church, for our youth. What would make a a people say no to, to, I'm not going to defile myself like that? What creates that? Helm goes on to say, people of resolve are fashioned. They are made. They don't just appear. They are formed. End quote. I agree. I can't imagine the kinds of things that that you face, 14, 15 year old today, the pressures at school, the the pressures at home, the, the sexual pressure and tension that exists everywhere in our culture, on your device, things that are normative today that were unheard of 10 years ago. My question for you, Are you looking for answers for your life in the word of God? Are you listening to other people? Are you seeking with resolve in your heart um, to to live your life in a way that pleases God? 
parents. This kind of resolve doesn't, doesn't just magically appear. How are you gospeling your kids? Do you speak to them of the, the things of God? Better yet, I, I think parents, we can, we can all agree, should be doing that. Christian homes, we should be doing that. But adults in the room, my children need to hear the gospel, gospel from you as well. Other kids, are you, are you speaking into the lives of others' children? Listen, it's no accident. His point about these youths and coming in to Babylon and having this kind of resolve, he's saying it's, it's not an accident. Their faith had been formed. They had been molded by the gospel. Listen, we take vows. We, we pride ourselves on our covenant theology. We take vows to do this. I'm supposed to care for your children and you're supposed to care for mine. So he has this this confidence, this assurance of faith based on God's grace to him and God provides. Does this mean that we should treat our faith like a magic trick? Name it and then, you know, claim it. No, that is, that is not what's going on here. The confidence of faith is an assurance based on what God has the power to perform and what he has promised to do. That's the confidence of faith. Has God promised you that you'll be the number one in your class? That you'll get an A in the thing that everyone else is struggling with, that you're going to get the part, that you're going to get the scholarship, that you're going to get the job, that you're going to get the promotion you want at work. No, you, you want to look, look like an active faith. Read the promises of God to, that he has given us in his word. Live out of that place. What has God promised? The Son, the Spirit, his love poured into our hearts. We could go on and on and on. Another application is this. To, to shape youth takes teaching, but also modeling. Also doing. Parents and members of grace, are you engaging in modeling Christian behavior? One of the most powerful things we offer our neighbors, our community, is staying married. Love your spouse. In a culture, in a time that radically, radically fights against monogamous marriages, stay married. That's a great application. If you're married, stay that way. Until death do you part. There's glory in that. There's beauty in that. So we've seen that these guys remain undefiled. And, and it seems in the face of what could have been a very tense moment, utterly unafraid. 
And finally, at Babylon University, they were very uncommon. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God gives, listen, God gives Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. God gives favor to Daniel and his friend. Finally, God gives learning and skill again and again and again in exile. God is giving and giving and giving. Yes, if you feel like you were in exile, join the club. Even while there, God keeps giving and giving and giving. God is with his people. Isaiah 43, an incredible text. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, not if you pass through the waters, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. It's not that bad things don't happen. They do. They do. Bad things happen. I think sometimes we can forget that Daniel is a refugee. And we paint him in these, these tones that are utterly unrealistic. He's a refugee. Far from home. And God gives. And God gives. And God gives. Not only does he sustain them through their protests of the king's food, but he prospers them ten times that of their peers. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten, them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in the kingdom. Incredible. Ten times better. Yes, exile looks and is difficult. Yes, being dragged away from everything you have ever known and made a courtier in a foreign land is incredibly difficult. However, God is with them. They're not alone. And I love this. See, Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, some 75 more years. He outlasts this empire. He will out, outlast many kings. He will be the advisor to the throne for 75 years. Daniel knows hardship, yet he remains faithful. He knows hardship, that he remains faithful. And this points us to Christ in our New Testament lesson that we heard earlier. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Faithful in temptation, pointing us to the perfect one, Christ who was faithful in his temptation, and he did it for us. He did it for you and me so that he could grace us with his love. Isn't that amazing? What kind of ministry, I'll just close here, but what kind of effectiveness do you think a ministry like Daniel's would have? The best commentary that I have is from the probably 60s or 70s of... Um, old Westminster seminary guy <clears throat> on the open the front dust jacket 
you go to the next page, it's got one text right there. Matthew 2, 1 through 2. Do you know what's going on there? Wise men are coming from the east. Some 500 years after these events, because they see a star, and they, they know that that star is linked to a child that's being born who's a king and worthy of kingly gifts. What kind of ministry did Daniel have? So it's it, in this author's mind and in mine, I'm convinced that there's some deep connection between the lives of these teenagers and their ministry across a long span of time that would lead others to be worshipers of God and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. What matters is faithfulness in this situation, faithfulness in little things, faithfulness to our God and King, knowing that He gives and He gives and He gives. I'll end with this. Augustine says this in his Confessions, quote, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose and was now glad to reject. You, God, drove them from me. You who are true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and you took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure, though not to flesh and blood. You who outshine all light, yet are hidden deeper than any secret in our hearts. You who surpass all honor, though not in the eyes of men who see all honor in themselves." End quote casting out the darkness and filling up with light. May the Lord be pleased to do that in us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, would you encourage us by it? <clears throat> would you shape, Lord, our lives? Give us resolve flowing from who you are and what you have done for us. Give us resolve to live as your followers in this world shape our lives, and may we be used by you to shape and model the lives of others who need it as well. Thank you for your word. Use it to shape us in Christ's name. Amen.